Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We worship you. And we praise your holy name. This morning, we pray for a powerful and mighty anointing of the Holy Ghost. Let the Spirit flow in this house so everyone who is hearing the word of the living God will receive what the Spirit has for the church and for the believers. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated around the church this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Acts this morning. Acts chapter 2 specifically. When we look at the church in the book of Acts, we need to remember that really this is the account of a group of startup churches beginning in various parts of the world. Imagine for a second your local bank. Your local um, bank has a main office in its city of origin. But then, throughout all the little cities, you have branch offices. The corporate office for the church is in heaven. The CEO being Jesus, the Son of God. God gave Jesus this responsibility to build the church. Every church that preaches the full gospel message, we are a branch office of the main church, the one operated by Jesus Christ. So, Jesus is our CEO of the Church Incorporated But this is the local branch office of the church run by Jesus. Are we together on this? In the book of Acts, it really operates the same way. Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. A branch office starts in Jerusalem, later throughout all Judea, then into Samaria, then in Antioch, then into Galatia, into Macedonia, Greece, Rome, and eventually throughout the entire world. We are all branch offices of the main church operated by Jesus. Now, every church that begins is a startup church. Even branch offices like we are, starts as 
a startup church. Each startup church usually will face the same questions from the people as he gets established. In the book of Acts, we see nine key questions that are asked by people regarding the church. They want to know about all of what's going on in these startup churches. Keep in mind, whenever a church was started in any of the towns in the book of Acts, nobody knew a thing about the church. Let's look at the last chapter of the book of Acts. When Paul literally washed up on shore at Melita, nobody there knew about the church. It was up to Paul to make sure they knew about the church. Now, usually when something starts, people will have questions. And this morning we're going to be looking at the questions people will tend to ask about the church. We need to know the answer to all these questions so people will feel comfortable coming into the house of the Lord. And one other reason why we need to know this. For our own benefit and our own exhortation, edification, and comfort. Book Acts chapter 2. We are familiar with the scene in this chapter. In Acts chapter 2, the church literally is starting. At the beginning of the chapter, the believers are baptized with the Holy Ghost, the evidence of speaking in other tongues. The locals throughout the community, they begin to actually Notice what's going on. They notice all of these Galileans speaking in their native language, speaking in such a way where they're learning about the wonderful works of God. Now at this point, rightfully, they are confused. They don't know anything that's really going on at this point. That's why they ask the question, in Acts chapter 2, verse 12. What meaneth this? Question 1. When the Spirit is moving and people from outside the church begin to notice what's going on, the first thing they're going to ask is, What does this mean? When people see the gifts in operation, when they see a healing, what does this mean? When they experience a miracle, what does this mean? When they experience the word of knowledge or wisdom or any of the gifts, including prophecy, tongues, and interpretation, they're going to want to know what does this mean? We as believers in Jesus, we need to be prepared to answer this question. So how are we prepared? One, be in the Word. Two, follow the leading 
and the guiding of the Spirit. Peter answered this question, this is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel. What else did he say with everyone paying attention to what's going on this direction this morning? What else did Peter say? He said what? It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servant and on my handmaid I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. What do we see here? Peter saying, this is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel. Now, those who were listening to the message on this day, they knew about these prophecies. We might run into people that will not know about this. So how do we answer? What means this? The Spirit will give you the answer for that situation and for that moment. Let me repeat this. The Spirit operates on an individual basis. The answer that Peter gives might not be the best answer for someone who's never donned the door of a church. This is where we rely on the Spirit to answer the question, what means this? We need to be flexible enough to allow the Spirit to give us this answer. Now, that requires a few things. One, the Spirit operating in our lives. And two, a knowledge of the Word. I'm not talking head knowledge. I'm talking heart knowledge. Peter could give the answer that the Spirit gave him because the answer was already right here. The Spirit is going to use what's inside of you to answer this question. So when the gifts are an operation and people begin to wonder, what is this? One of the answers I can think of is this. This is Jesus letting you know He is real. But the Spirit might give you an answer depending on your situation that will fit the situation that you're in. When the gifts are an operation, what's the first question? What means this? What does this all mean? And we need to depend on the Spirit to give us the answer. Are we still here this morning? Question one, what means this? Question two, Let's go to Acts 17, verse 19. We're going to skip around the book of Acts, but literally the questions are in order the way the Spirit wants it this morning. In Acts chapter 17, Paul arrives in Athens. And what does he notice? Idols all over the place. I mean, they would worship everything. They even had an altar to the unknown God. Everywhere Paul went into Athens, he saw idol worship all over the place. Well, at some point, some of the people in Athens 
they understood that Paul had this new religion to talk about. They wanted to know about Christianity. According to Acts 17.19, the question asked by the Greeks in Athens was, May we know what this new doctrine whereof you speak is. What is this doctrine? It's question two. If you go back to Peter in Acts chapter 2, after he said, this is that, what did he do? He really began to answer this question, may we know what this new doctrine is. That's what he preached on the day of Pentecost. If you look at the next chapter, Acts 3, after the healing Peter then did what? He preached on, may we know what this new doctrine is. If you look, when Paul goes on his missionary journeys, we see Paul preach consistently on what? What is this new doctrine? And now right here in Athens, Paul preaches the same subject in answer to the people's question. What is this new doctrine? And throughout the remainder of the book of Acts, Paul consistently sticks with this one core message in dealing with those who were lost. What is this new doctrine? So what is this new doctrine? For us, it is the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, our Lord, our Savior, the Anointed One, the One who went to the cross and shed His blood to pay our sin debt, the One who gave us forgiveness, the One who gave us a new covenant, the One who gave us a new birth. What is this new doctrine that God raised Jesus from the dead, giving us life now, giving us life through all eternity? What is this new doctrine, a belief, In Jesus Christ, Him crucified, Him risen from the dead. This is the doctrine. This was the doctrine preached in Acts chapter 2 to those who had never heard the gospel message. This is the basic message we need to preach to those who ask, What is this new doctrine? This is the message. The gospel message. Are we still here? So what was question number one? What means this? What does these gifts mean? Number two. What is this new doctrine? The gospel message. Number three. One page over. Acts 16 verse 30. Many of us are familiar with the scene here. Paul and Silas are in the Philippi County Jail. They have been arrested and beaten for preaching the gospel and for casting a demon out of a woman. Horrible crime. Now they're sitting in the midst of the jail, and what happens? They begin to sing and worship the Lord. Massive earthquake. Bonds free. Chains broken. Guard about ready to kill himself 
when Paul said, do yourself no harm, we are all here. That leads the jailer to ask the key question, which is what? Acts 16.30 Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now notice the order. First, the signs and wonders. What does this mean? Then what? The gospel preached. What is this new doctrine? Then number three, what must I do to be saved? That was the question really asked toward the end of Acts chapter 2. The people asked, what must I do to be saved? If you look at Acts chapter 3, it's the same thing. And in Acts 13, in Acts 14, even today, when the gospel is preached, people are going to ask, what must I do to be saved? It becomes key for us to be able to lead a soul to Jesus. When Paul was faced with this question, he knew what to do, as did Peter, as did Philip, as did all the disciples, all the apostles, all the believers in Jesus. It is our prayer that each and every one of you in this church, each and every one watching, will be faced with this question. What must I do to be saved? And when that moment comes, you can say, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You'll be able to say, Believe with the heart and confess with the mouth. This is important as believers, regardless of age. To be able to answer this question by leading a soul to Jesus. Are we still here? We must be able to answer this question. So what was question one? What means this? What means these gifts of the Spirit? What was question number two? What is this new doctrine? What is the gospel message? Number three. What must I do to be saved? Let's go to Acts chapter 10, verse 47. In this chapter, Peter has preached the gospel in Cornelius' house. And they, wanting to know what the gospel was, what is this new doctrine, and now believing with the heart, what must I do to be saved, with an evidence of speaking in tongues, not of salvation there, but letting everyone know the Spirit revealing that these Gentiles can be saved. Now, here is Peter. He realizes that everyone in the room is now saved. What is the question that he asks in Acts 10.47? Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost, as well as we. Twofold part of this question. One, since Gentiles can be baptized with the Holy Ghost, Gentiles can be baptized in water. 
but a second one. And this refers to us. Those who believe in the Christ across the resurrection. The word is pretty clear about water baptism. I know a lot of people, well, water baptism doesn't save. True. But water baptism is a sign that you are saved. And it is something that Jesus specifically told us to do. So what is the purpose of water baptism? One, it lets us know that this new believer has died with Christ, was buried with Christ, and was risen with Christ. Two, it is a sign to those inside and outside the church that this person is now a believer in Jesus. For a lot of people outside the church, they have no real clue that something is real until they hear the word, they've been baptized. I mean, if you watched the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? One of the key scenes was when one of the guys got baptism, went down to the river, got baptized. If you remember the movie, George Clooney's reaction was, he got baptized. What did that say? That this guy really had religion. Now let's throw this into the real world. The same thing will happen. You got baptized. You're serious about this. It is a sign to those inside the church that the person is changed. It is a sign to those outside the church that the person really has changed. Are we together on this? Now, notice the order. What means this? What are these gifts? Two, what is this new doctrine? Then three, what must I do to be saved? Knowing the gospel and being saved does come before water baptism. Are we together on this? It does not work the other way around. One must be saved in order to be water baptized. Number four was what? Baptized with water. Next, number five. Acts chapter 19, verse 2. The Apostle Paul has arrived in Ephesus. There he is, assuming, dangerous thing to do by the way, that these people might be believers in Jesus. So what's the first thing Paul asks? Question number 5, Acts 19.2. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now that these Ephesians are believers, they needed to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Now, notice the order. When Paul realized that they really weren't saved. He told them that their baptism into John's baptism was not good enough, that they needed to be baptized with the baptism that John talked about, Jesus. Now understand something here. In order to be baptized with the Holy Ghost, one really must be a believer in Jesus. When Paul saw 
that these Ephesians were baptized in water. It told him that they were saved. Remember, baptism, outward sign of inward change. Now the inward change is there. Now what does Paul do? Now that he knows that these men are saved, he lays hands on them, they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they speak in tongues, they prophesy. This question needs to be asked of every born-again believer. If we expect people to be baptized with the Holy Ghost in church, we need to ask this question. If it is important to us, it will become important to other people as well. Are we together on this? We cannot allow people to sit in church and not be confronted with the question. The loving thing to do is to confront them with the question. Now, if you notice the flow of Acts 19, after these men received the baptism in the Holy Ghost, Paul became more effective in ministry. The gospel spread from Ephesus throughout much of the region, all the towns throughout the area. We know about what is in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We know about the seven churches, one being Ephesus. We know that the gospel spread from the Ephesus church to the other six communities. And we know from reading the tone of the New Testament that there was a church in Colossae, which was in Asia, and a church in Heropolis, that was next to Laodicea, which received the gospel message. And we also know that there was a church in Troas, which received the gospel message. Then there's another church where the guy falls out the window. That was in the same region. Because these men were baptized with the Holy Ghost, and those inside the church were baptized with the Holy Ghost, the gospel spread from outside the city of Ephesus throughout the entire region. The same thing worked in Jerusalem. The gospel was spread throughout Judea and Samaria. The same thing was true in Antioch. The gospel spread from there to Galatia, into Greece and Macedonia and Cyprus. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is that important. All of these churches really sprung from Paul asking the question, have you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost since you received? Let's also tie this into all the miracles and all the healings and all the salvations that follow. All of this ties back to, have you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost since you believe? It's that important. We need to answer the question. So what have we seen up to this point? Number one, what does this mean? Number two, what is this new doctrine? Number three, what must I do to be saved? Four, what forbids them from being baptized in water? Five, have ye received the baptism in the Holy Ghost since you received? You believed. Acts chapter 8, verse 30 and 31. Two questions 
but they really make up one true question. Philip has made the trip from the Samaria outpouring, and now he's in the middle of the desert. He has been called to minister to one single, solitary person, the Ethiopian eunuch. The Holy Spirit tells him, go join yourself to that chariot. Philip notices the man is reading the book of Isaiah. What was Philip's first question to the person? Do you understand what you are reading? Acts chapter 8, verse 30. The first part of this two-part question is what? Do you understand what you are reading? For those outside the church, we really got to assume in a way they don't know what they're reading, but they might, so we don't want to really insult their intelligence either. That's why Philip simply asked, do you understand what you're reading? Let them tell you if they understand or not. Go into the situation assuming they probably don't. But allow them to let you know if they do or do not understand. Are we together on this? Now let's apply this to inside the church. There are many who read the Bible. They try on their own to understand the Bible. And we assume in a lot of cases that because they are in a church, especially believers who have been there for a long period of time, that they know what's going on. Not necessarily. We need to also ask those inside the church, do you understand what you are reading? Do you understand what the Spirit is trying to say to you? Now, if they know, they will let you know. And if they don't, they're going to ask the question the eunuch did. The reason why I'm phrasing it this way is simply this. On the surface, the eunuch was reading a Bible. It would be easy to assume from a lot of persons that this guy understands what he is reading. He's a synagogue attending man. He knows this. But it doesn't mean he understands this either. Are we together on this? Do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch's question. How can I? Except some man should guide me. We are going to be asked to guide people into the truth. For those who are not saved, it definitely begins with the gospel message as we saw in point number two in this message. There are those in the church who are saved who are not going to understand certain things because that's not where they are 
in their Christian maturity. How can I understand unless someone guide me? We need to be ready to answer this question to guide people into all truth. So what's the first thing we have to do in order for that to happen? We need to, shock of shocks, we need to actually know the Bible ourselves first. If we don't understand, ask for help. Start with the Holy Spirit. Start with the pastor. That's where you start. If you're under like a teacher in the church, ask them. Do not ask people in the pew unless you really know they know what they're talking about. Really start with the Holy Spirit and go from there. Do you understand what you believe? Well, I need someone to guide me. Why do you think the Holy Spirit had Philip there? To guide him into the truth. The Spirit could very well send someone into your life to explain the truth to you. Well, we also need to be ready to explain the truth to others. So, what do we see? Number one, what means this? Number two, what is this new doctrine? Number three, what must I do to be saved? Number four, can any man forbid water? Number five, have you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost since you believe? Number six, how can I understand except some man guide me? Number seven, Acts chapter 7, verse 1. This is the beginning of Stephen's testimony in front of the Sanhedrin. This is Peter, Stephen's moment to preach the gospel message. But why was he there? He was there being on trial for his life. At this moment, we see Stephen who is here at this moment giving an answer for his faith. There are going to be times when we hear are these things so that we're going to have to give a defense of our faith. This is a real, legitimate question. A real, important question. We need to be able to answer this question. When we are in a persecution situation, we need to be able to defend our faith. Are we together on this? Stephen because he had the help of the Holy Spirit, is able to defend his faith. Throughout this entire book of Acts, Peter, he had to defend the faith. So did Paul. 
So did everyone throughout church history. Defense of the faith is vitally important. We need to really train the believers that they will be in this situation where they will be asked to defend the faith. But in those moments, because they're in the Word, because they're in prayer, because they have a fellowship relationship with the Father and the Son, the Spirit will give them help, but only in the sense of bringing back to our minds what's already there. The more we know going into a persecution situation, the more the Spirit will be able to lead us through it. Are we still here? Number one is what? What means this? Number two, what is this new doctrine? Number three, what must I do to be saved? Number four, can any man forbid water? Five, have you been baptized with the Holy Ghost since you believe? Number six, how can I accept someone guide me? Number seven, are these things so? Acts chapter 11, number eight. In Acts chapter 11, verse 17, Peter is back in Jerusalem after his visit to Cornelius. He has to give an answer to the church rulership about his action. Understand, according to the Old Testament law, Peter was not supposed to be in Cornelius' house doing what he did. So why was Peter there? Because the Lord told him to be there. The Spirit specifically said, go with these men doubting or questioning nothing. Now, he's here. Those who stood with him in that house were also there. And what is going on here? They have to give the explanation. And Peter gives the entire account, including those in Cornelius' house, receiving the baptism in the Holy Ghost. This becomes an important sign in this one instance that Gentiles could be saved. It leads Peter to answer the following, Acts eleven seventeen. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed unto Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? The question is, can we go against God? Peter is saying, God opened this door. I was not going to fight against God. I was going to go through the door that God opened. We need to have Holy Ghost wisdom and knowledge and discernment in situations like this. But there could be times that the Lord will open an unexpected door And at that point, it is not arguing, 
the point. At first, that's what Peter did, Acts chapter 10. I've never ate anything uncommon in my life. He questioned it. But now, when the Spirit began to move, it really became, I cannot stand against God. If this is God's will for my life, I must follow. Throughout the book of Acts, we see this come up over and over again. The big case being Saul of Tarsus, who found out he really could not withstand God. But he went through every open door from that point on. I want to preach in Asia, in the second missionary journey. God closed the door. Paul could not withstand God. He went through the door that God opened. If God is for it, the door is going to be open and we're going to walk through it. Are we together on this? And we need to obey the voice of the Lord. What happens if people disapprove? God will take care of that one. Leave that to God. We are to go through the door that's been opened. Number nine. Acts 15, verse 10. It's the Council of Jerusalem. And what's happening at the Council of Jerusalem? The question of Gentiles being part of the church without following the Old Testament law was being discussed. The ultimate discussion about law and grace. Once we believe in the gospel message. How are we to now live our lives? Peter has his experience with the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 were saved and baptized with the Holy Ghost without being circumcised, without being asked to follow the Old Testament law. In Acts 15, Peter is being asked about this, and Peter gives this testimony saying just what I just said. They were not asked to be a Jew by God, and God didn't ask them to be a Jew. Therefore, who are we to withstand God using what we just said? But the question I want to read is in Acts 15.10. Why therefore we tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. We are not to put the Old Testament law or anything of this sort on believers. We are not saved by works. Now, if we are saved, there will be positive Holy Ghost-filled works. Some of those works is not going to be taking part of the Passover meal, pretending to be a Jew because you're not. Part of this is not going to be doing what it takes to become an Israelite because God did not ask you to do this. That is, you not doing this is a sign that you believe. But then there are signs that you do believe. 
like your life totally changing, following the leading and the guiding of the Spirit. That's how we live our life, by the way. Following the leading and the guiding of the Spirit. As for the issue here, the works of the law does not save. And that's the point that Peter is driving home. If someone says you must do something in order to be saved, you don't. Beyond this, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe with the heart. Confess with the mouth. When you do this, yes, you will be baptized. Yes, you will receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Yes, you will take part of the Lord's Supper like we did today. That's an outward sign of a change. But as far as following the Old Covenant, absolutely not. Now this morning... We have seen all nine of these questions. One, what means this? Two, what is this new doctrine? Three, what must I do to be saved? Four, have you, um, can any man forbid water? Five, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Six, how can I understand except someone guide me? Seven, are these things so? The reality of persecution and giving a defense of the faith. Eight, who can withstand God? And number nine, do not put the yoke of bondage on those who believe. We need to know these answers first for our own peace of mind and then for the peace of mind of others. So this morning, I challenge you, the Spirit challenges you to know all of this. To be able to answer these questions when those around you begin to ask these questions. Be in the Word. Do your homework first. Allow the Spirit to bring this back to your mind. And when the Spirit brings it back to your mind, you will be able to answer all of these questions. And you will be a blessing to others when you do so. Let's stand across the church this morning. Hallelujah.